welcome into the show. It is Daniel Wartman coming to you live from the Dreamaginate Sports Studios. It is 9 a.m. on the East Coast, 6 a.m. out west and all time zones in between and around the world. Thanks for tuning in on this Friday, April the 24th. Hope you're staying safe out there. Together we can get through this, hopefully sooner rather than later. And hope you are having a great morning, great week. Lots to talk about this morning. Um, the the late last night, I, I got word of a restructuring with the U.S. Youth Soccer um, National League system and uh in and a new showcase format uh as well and um with that um it seems as though that u.s youth soccer which is its own uh sanctioning organization underneath the uh the u.s soccer federation um, is moving a little bit away from national and regional travel and more into um, a more localized format. Now, I, I don't, we don't have specifics yet. Uh, what what uh, I received um, is more of a bullet points. So not not a bunch of details. I don't know cost, um, but uh, it's it. The information so far is basically indicating that uh, U.S. youth soccer um, and their national league system uh, is is going to have an all new structure uh, and format and. Um, When when they did a little bit of a Q and A, um, kind of uh, release, kind of a you know frequently asked questions, kind of you know release, uh, and and so uh, the first question: Does the youth uh, U.S. Youth Soccer National League still exist? Yes, but with all new structure and format. Based on insights from leadership member clubs and outside partner organizations that will elevate the playing environment for all. Um, and uh, next, the, the second question, what's different about the reimagined U.S. Youth Soccer National League? The National League will no longer be comprised of traditional nationwide brackets and event-specific competitions. It will now consist of regionally aligned conferences with both team-based and club-based league competitions. The champions of each of these National League conferences will advance to the regional championship level of the U.S. Youth National uh, Soccer National Championship Series. In addition to the new National League format, the U.S. Youth Soccer will uh, will be rolling out a U.S. Uh, YS National Showcase Series which is what I would say is a little bit of a similar um, format to the DA showcases. So, 
it's not exactly clear what's happening here, um, but it seems to be uh, at least on its surface a move away from more travel to a little bit more local uh, footprint. Uh, and by local, I, I, it may not necessarily be city local, but um, not as much uh, travel as USYS was doing in the past. Uh, and and then they are uh, creating these uh, showcase series, um, which are, are a three-game uh, Friday, one game Friday, one game Saturday, one game Sunday kind of scenario. Um, and are, are, are they're, but they're basically, it looks like they're trying to do with the showcases as, um, those are going to be the opportunities for, um, you know, players to be scouted, uh, by college scouts, by professional scouts. They're going to try to really make those a priority and a big deal. And then, um, the rest of the calendar, it seems to be more, um, you know, more local than it has been. Not necessarily local as in I'm playing all of my matches in one city. It, it, it seems to be that the footprints are going to be a little bit smaller for the um, regionally aligned conferences. And then it, it Outside of that, it's going to be these occasional showcase series where your your team, if if it qualifies, is able to go and play in those to to be seen and be scouted. We we'll need more details. You know, we don't know, but um, one one of the things that we we have been talking about a lot on on this show is the need to get more local. And so it, if this is a move towards um, getting, you know, players and their families uh, in a situation where they have um, fewer expenses um, due to travel burdens, um, then I think that's a good thing. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm, happy that uh you know u.s youth soccer is is doing that um you know we don't have all the details on the cost on the on the showcases we don't have the details on exactly what the reimagined u.s youth soccer nationally exactly looks like um but i'm sure we'll get that information soon enough and and we'll judge it on its merits we'll see you know, how, um, how things play out. Uh, the bottom line is U.S. Youth Soccer, U.S. Club Soccer, AYSO, all of these different organizations offer different programming. And they all have their sales pitches for why their programming is the best. And really, the problem is that we are missing the key ingredient. And we were close. We were really close. When the Development Academy was created, it was created with 
an intention to get the best players playing each other. And I don't disagree with that philosophy. Big idea. That's it's not a bad idea. As a big idea, it's not a bad idea. How the DA was implemented, that's where we ran into some issues. The Federation was really close to getting it right. A few changes, and they could have radically altered the future of American youth soccer. And the few changes they needed to make was open up the development academy to every club in the country. Tier the the development academy based on on-field performance. Tier the development academy based on club operations. And by club operations, I'm not talking about necessarily money. I'm talking about club operations from the standpoint of show us what you're doing to develop players. Show us your club methodology. Show us your curriculum. Show us. You can get up in front of parents and say, we're going to play this style and we're going to do it this way. But that's a sales pitch. What are you actually doing? Is there a is there a consistency in the methodology of your coaches? So club operations, that's what I mean by that. You know, what are you doing from a footballing sporting side of your operations? That would be another factor. And then open it up to everyone. Make it accessible to everyone and have multiple tiers based on on-field performance and based on some of these developmental metrics, right? So you may be having on-field success with, with one of your teams, but are, but is that team indicative of the, the way the rest of your club is performing in terms of their coaching, their development philosophy, etc.? So what are you what are you doing as a club? And then how are you doing on the field as a club? The, and open it up to everybody. When you do it that way, now we don't have US youth soccer and US club soccer and AYSO and other organizations offering their own programming. Well, until the federation which has vacated their responsibility in the termination of the DA, until you you open that up to everybody and have all that available, you're going to have all of this, this alphabet soup of youth soccer programming. So now we see USYS with, a, with an update to theirs. We see US Club Soccer touting the ECNL as the best uh, available for your clubs. We'll see. You know, none can, none of these can say they're the best. And the reason why they can't say they're the best is because there is no, there's no tiering system based on merit. 
U.S. club soccer has not earned their way to first division youth soccer. There, that doesn't exist. They're just an organization running programming. They may feel that what they do is better. They can't prove it. USYS is in the same same boat. We may feel our format and programming is better. We can't prove it. So, what does this do to parents? I don't know. We'll see. And we're about to have a conversation coming up in just a minute after the break about the Development Academy in the aftermath. And, and, and we'll get into this, some of that. And we'll see where that is and how that's shaping up for families across this country. But before we do, our sponsor this half hour is Ductic Brand, D-U-K-T-I-G Brand. Dot com And uh, look, if you have not uh, gone to ductigbrand.com just to check them out, you should check them out today. Um, you got nothing better to do. Get online. Check them out today. Ductigbrand.com. And if you find something you like, maybe maybe it's it's, it's a T-shirt. Maybe it's uh, one of their their planners. Use it. Uh, use this promo code DW Show. You'll get ten percent off of your order at DuckTickBrand.com. We'll be right back after this. back into the show thanks for tuning in on this friday morning i hope you're having a, a great day and a great week uh joining us now on the show is a freelance journalist that's covering uh american soccer um in all of its uh, crazy facets and rabbit trails etc is charles boehm charles welcome to the show how are you this morning 
Thanks for having me on. I'm I'm doing fine, and I'm going to have to use that rabbit trail line. I think I think I may have to cop that from you. <laughs> and look, there's so many so many places to go. We were just talking at the top of the show about um, you know the fact that you have this alphabet soup uh, in the youth space. Uh, it's been there for for you know a few decades now, and. U.S. Youth Soccer entered that space back in 2007 with the Development Academy and then vacated that space uh, with, with their recent announcement of uh, the termination of the Development Academy. I wanted to bring you on to kind of talk through a little bit of of the DA um, and, and then get into the aftermath of the DA. Uh, what were your thoughts on the Development Academy um, as it was constructed before the announcement that it was terminated? Well, I guess it's probably a, a symbol of, of how convoluted and, um, uh, and crowded it is that uh, I feel like I have, I have to, I'm compelled to, to make a small note just that U.S. youth soccer is, is distinct from U.S. soccer, um, which, you know, as opposed to the federation, as opposed to the biggest youth entity that's a member of the federation. So just to be clear, um, uh, so no one gets confused. So the, the DA is, part, is, a, is a federation initiative um, dating back to 2007. And, you know, I've, I've been kind of watching it um, for a long time. And uh, the, uh, gosh, I would say, that it's a great idea. Um, it, it did a lot. It advanced the game. I would say um, it had a. I think its legacy will overall be positive. But some of the factors in its sort of untimely or, or rapid demise have been are, are reflective of, uh, I guess, challenges, um, contradictions that that date back almost not quite, but almost to its beginning. Because I think the fundamental issue. Um, that I came up, uh, up against in, in looking at the DA over and over is that um, the, it was the first time the Federation itself had waded in with actual youth soccer league programming. And the Federation did so um, because it felt that, that that alphabet soup, that that chaotic youth soccer um, state of affairs that it was looking at as it tried to improve the national teams was simply not creating a conducive environment to, um, to, to player development. And so they took the rather unusual step uh, of, of running their own league. And I think there, again, there will be a positive legacy in the sense of some of the concepts that were advanced in the DA uh, were at the time sort of very progressive ideas that were not the norm in American youth soccer. And now there's more of uh, the, the, the norm has been advanced when we're talking about training the game ratios, um, getting top players competing against one another in training uh, on, a, on a regular basis, and then playing against one another on a regular basis nudging the pro game along into proper sort of academy structures. However, when a, when a federation gets involved in league programming, it's sort of like uh, the best metaphor I've come up with is um, this is, this is when you stop being a referee and become another player in the game, right? So even if you had really good motives for doing so, even if you felt that it was an urgent necessity that you had no other way uh, of attacking, um, you're still sort of wading into the muck of, uh, politics of, of uh, conflict, of competition. And I think that that, that was a, something that we'll have to look at it as we sort of pick up the pieces of all this, that it's always, uh, it was a gamble and a risk for the Fed to, to sort of get involved. And pretty soon, uh, the nature of the Federation, by being a top-down entity, um, eventually started to have an effect on the DA and its members. In, in terms of that fine line, um 
you know, when I look at the, the Development Academy and for all of its, um, you know, successes, there were some things that, that I felt like was severely um, crippling towards its ultimate success. And, and, and I think it's one of the reasons why it, it eventually led to its termination. And that is, uh, it, it was, it didn't go far enough from, uh, an administrative point of view. Uh, I, I get your analogy on the referee becoming the player on the field. Uh, when you, when you enter the youth space and you, you basically run, you know, think of it like a boutique hotel. They ran kind of a boutique league, right? It, we're we're going to let a few players in the ones that we think are the best. And we're just going to run this over here for what we think are like premium clients. And, and then we're just going to let everybody else, you know, stay at your average hotel chain and you guys just keep doing whatever you're doing over there. And if we don't like it, yeah, we'll try to step in and police to make sure all hotels in the country are, are run efficiently, but we're going to just focus that the best are going to stay in these boutique hotels. Right. So just kind of an analogy here. Um, Mm -hmm. when, when looking at the development Academy, I would argue that from an administrative standpoint, they would have been better off um, administering a a na- nationwide uh, system of connected leagues rather than trying to get in and compete against U.S. club soccer and U.S. youth soccer and 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 kind of go to war with them in terms of, okay, we're the best. You, you guys can no longer claim you're the best. And we're just going to offer this to this small subset. If they had gone and said, look, we're going to work with all of our state associations and organize, um, you know, that the, that the state leagues are going to feed into a regional pattern that's going to feed into some type of, you know, maybe a conference type of setup that eventually feeds into this, you know, development uh, academy premier kind of level, which is where you would generally find like the professional academies uh, playing in uh, overseas, instead of really organizing everything, it seems to be that by kind of just sticking their toe in the water and not going all the way into the pool and wading into to administering the youth game, that the hybrid approach really kind of you know bit them in the butt in the end. And I'm curious what your thoughts are on on that aspect of this that they that they didn't go all the way and organize uh pathways for every club in the country and instead just decided that we're only going to operate for kind of a one percent and still try to influence everything else while running this kind of boutique setup over here on the side I think there's there's a lot of merit to that. The, the, the other issue I see is in a, in a macro sense is that you have this spectrum. Um, you want to have the highest level of competition you you can you can get in, in that sort of top national league concept, which means you want to have um, you know the most successful clubs with the most resources, with the best players and the best teams, and you want to make it attractive to the best talent, whether it's coaches or players and so forth. Um, and you want to have every game be meaningful, be balanced, be competitive. So that's on, on one end of the spectrum, but then on the other is uh, this the, the scale of this country. Even if you just focus on on 
large metropolitan areas, which which the DA typically did, um, then then you're going to be dealing with it just uh, absolutely devastating travel costs, even for the federation, even with the federation underwriting it, millions, dumping millions a year into it. I mean, the budget was doubling every few years, and that's. You know, even if you think that nine, ten million dollars is something that this federation should be able to absorb, when you look at the trajectory, it's significant. And so that's that's the the, the travel and the scale and the scope of things is constantly working against you. So I think the the challenge and it, it required a really elegant solution. It required a a mindset I think that maybe is not necessarily um, does not necessarily get cultivated in the culture of the U.S. Soccer Federation at this time is to find that sort of um, elegant balance between between getting the best against the best without having to fly them around the country and rack up incredible costs. I mean, over the years I've talked to, um, talked to different MLS Academy people and people in and around the, the top MLS academies, and they're spending just absurd amounts of money just to get players from point A to point B, much less before you get into the expenses of coaching of facilities, uh, of potentially residential academies, um, covering the costs for for um, for all the players, which is you know an expectation I think that people had understandably. So so the the question was always um, how can you how can you create the best competition with the least travel? And uh, I thought it was frustrating to me was just when it seemed like the DA had gotten big enough to to allow for some regionalization. Um, then they created this tier system, right? Which and which then required people to start traveling all over again. You know. Um, play at the start of last DA season, a month before the season was uh, starting last summer, the clubs were told that, you know, there's now this red blue system and you're going to be, um, you know, you might have to travel from, from Washington DC, let's say where I live to Montreal for, for one league game. I mean, that's absurd. And, and, uh, and one of the things that, you know, the, the, the expectation, I think there's a sense that MLS you know, always wanted to break away and always wanted to do a, an all pro academy, but actually, I don't. I don't entirely think that's correct because um, if you just look at the the amount of money that MLS spends on tr- on trucking its players, its first team players around for league matches around this enormous continent, and then the idea of taking their if you take the legal MX East model where you take the the youth teams, the top two youth teams, with the first team uh, on a league schedule then you're tripling your travel costs. And this is, you know, a league that limits uh, charter flights and that sort of thing. So it, the, the, the biggest obstacle has always been the scale of this country. Um, and that remains, that is a very durable problem. Um, a, a few days ago, um, I, I saw a couple of tweets um, from at coach uh, underscore DJC underscore MKSC. Um, who, who was talking about Barcelona. They're, they're my favorite club, uh, in the world and, and talking about their youth system, uh, and, and, and what the reality is, uh, for the likes of, of their youth teams, youth players, youth development environment, etc. And he said this a couple of years ago, I got to attend Barcelona's U15 team with Chavi Simmons play, uh, a local team. They won 12 to 1. They didn't play in some made up league that claims to be elite. They played in a local league with local kids. Last time I checked, the development of those kids is better than the, the development of ours. Why aren't they creating these special leagues to play other uh, quote unquote elite clubs? Notice how they say always, uh, they always say clubs to not teams, clubs. Uh, what makes a club elite? Actually, what's the difference between mine and yours? Here's the real question. 
Are you too lazy to find competition or, or are you afraid to play your local clubs for fear of losing and then a fear of losing your kids, which equal losing money? I'm going to bet it's because you don't want to lose money. I think his, his last few points there, he was kind of talking about uh, some of these uh, local um, teams that are clubs that are, you know, in the in the pay to play is, is the way that they uh, fund their programs. Uh, parents paying fees. Major League Soccer is is uh, operating differently with their their top level academy teams that they they have been funding. Uh, but uh, you know th- this idea that that Barcelona. They're not traveling all over Spain, and as we know, Spain's not near uh, the the geographic juggernaut that is the United States uh, to tackle, and yet they're staying uh, local. They're not traveling all over to Madrid and other places to play. Uh, they're playing teams in, in, in their own regionalista uh, league format, and in looking at the, the country um, and, and knowing the fact that we are a continent-sized country, where we expand coast to coast. As a matter of fact, we we got two states we can't even get to very easily, uh, and 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 that's something we never talk about in relation to the development academy or professional systems. We never talk about Alaska and Hawaii, um, and and so uh, just talking on the forty-eight continental states and and the massive size that is this country, um, you know. Why do we have this obsession that we think to, to play uh, good enough competition to, to develop our players that we have to have players traveling enormous distances? I get the cost. Yeah. I mean, when you go that far, yeah, it's going to cost money. There's no way around that. If you choose travel as a metric for any you know aspect whether you call yourself elite or you think that's the only way you can play the best of the best and somehow that matters uh which uh, you know i don't think it matters near as much as we say it does um uh, you know not to to outweigh the balance of the cost um it's always going to be expensive so you know, you're in DC. There's a lot of quality players and quality clubs and quality teams that those players don't have to leave the DC metro area. Northern Virginia, DC, Maryland. Uh, I mean, you know, it, it, it it's not like we we should be seeing those teams have to get on an airplane, fly to Florida to play a team. I mean, to me, that's just absurd at a at, at the youth level that we're that we've been. And the Federation has been part of this, advocating for longer travel distances as if our players, you know, are really benefiting from it uh, when the rest of the world doesn't operate their youth systems that way. I mean, Brazil, a country similar in size, is not sending their teams all over the country to try to get them, quote unquote, elite games. Um, is, is, Is that something you think that ultimately that philosophy ultimately was one of the major factors that, that caused us soccer to, to, uh, in the program. I mean, the, look, the, you, know, you can't divorce this from the times. I mean, there's certainly factors that, that were building up to, to, um, you know, predating the, the coronavirus pandemic. But right now the, the, the reality of our current crisis is, is forcing a lot of really hard, uh, decisions, hard, you know, reality checks. And so I think that, that 
that things are going to look different from now on to some extent, no matter what. Um, and, and I would say th- there's a, a, a deep tradition we have in American soccer. It dates back a hundred years, multiple levels of context where, um, and maybe it's the American character. Maybe it's just our, our, the capital of society that, that we are dominated by, but the, there's a tradition of taking your ball and going somewhere else. If you don't like what you're dealing with, with the status quo, right? Whether it's, uh, starting your own team, starting your own club, or even starting your own league, right? We've had soccer wars over, over league organization that have repeatedly shot the sport in the foot, um, you know, in, in multiple different occasions. So I think there's certainly an issue there that there's a, the, there's a profit motive here. Um, clubs and teams and coaches that want to, sh- to distinguish themselves in a competitive you know, market, uh, market are going to present travel because travel has taken on the trappings of, uh, of, of elite, right? That there was a time when travel was necessary for the very best teams and, and may still be in some context. You know, if the, the very best teams and players want to go have this experience or benefit from the experience of uh, having a professional type of uh, environment with a, with a trip and a hotel and playing on the road and all these sorts of things. And there, there are benefits to that. Things that then it became wrapped up in the trappings of uh, of quality uh, of player and team quality, and then got so divorced from all that because a, a multi billion dollar industry grew out of this of travel soccer. Now that's only one sector of a multi multi billion dollar youth soccer sector. I think it's safe to say that that the, the travel industry is uh, is is looking at uh, some pretty daunting realities ahead of them. Um, but but unfortunately, we got this idea that this is what the best players do, and therefore to to be the best player or to consider myself or my kid in that in that category, then this is normal. Um, and th- there is, I think, we'll look back on on the last twenty years or so uh, and say that there was a sort of in- collective insanity that took root in the sense of spending incredible amounts of money on hotels and car drop trips and flights and all these other things. Uh, and yeah, the, the Federation probably um, got, uh, again, it's a part of it. So it's getting yourself in trouble when you have to try and solve these, um, these, these problems and, and enter into this world. I mean, the Federation was always sort of coming in and having to try and build consensus, um, connect with clubs, make DA membership valuable to clubs, then placate them once they were in the tent. And, and there's only so much change you can enact in such an, in a certain amount of time as a newcomer to the space. Uh, right, and I think that's uh, that's one of the contradictions that ended up making things uh, that make leading the federation to pull the plug. Speaking of pulling the plug, you know the federation put out the COVID nineteen, um, you know, pandemic as it, you know its its reason, its primary reason for pulling the plug. But long before we had a pandemic, there were there were whispers and rumors of the demise of the DA uh, and, and that it was coming. It, and, and so uh, I know that the, the legal fees um, it, that the, that U S soccer is incurring, um, you know, are, are having a, an effect on the budget. Um, and then obviously because of their, their, kind of i call it a worldview right of, of the travel that 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 we've got to do all this travel uh to to do the da that 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 view rather than going hey how do we how do we reduce our cost get away from traveling so much operate the da at a more regional uh level with the occasional travel 
um, versus, hey, we're just going to go all in on on travel, travel, travel. Um, you know, looking at the at, at U.S. Soccer's decision, what do you think really did um, you know ultimately lead us here? If these conversations were having, uh, you know, Taylor Twelve tweeted about this that he had been hearing about the cancellation of the DA for six months. Um, you know, I'm pretty sure. Uh, we weren't talking coronavirus pandemic in, in November uh, to the point of, of, you know, the whole world basically being on quarantine. Um, so what do you think ultimately led led us here? What what factors? I, I, I'm sure it's more than one. But in your in your uh, opinion, what do you think really got us to this point where the where U.S. soccer just said, you know, we're going to use this time as a convenient time to say we're done. Adios, goodbye. We're walking away. Uh, what 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 factors you think got him to that point? Yeah, so I've been uh, trying to talk to as many people in and around the DA who who have sort of uh, to get as many points as possible on this to try and put it all together. There's, uh, I think, uh, hopefully later today I'll have a piece dropping on SoccerWire.com that presents a little bit of the inside information I've been able to scrap together. Um, unfortunately, I think there's a, there's a perfect storm element here because this is all happening in and around the context of a federation that's at a probably historic low, at least in the modern history, in the sense of its, um, its financial fortunes having suddenly turned, its leadership being in turmoil, and its overall relationship and credibility with the general American soccer community has probably never been lower. And I thought it was reflective of that, that I heard all these different Theories and tidbits of information, some of them, some of which are, are I, I was able to confirm as apparently accurate. Others just left field, um, and I don't blame necessarily blame people for for entertaining some of, some of the rumors that I heard. Just because everything pertaining to to Federation business right now is contentious, is um, you know has this sort of Kremlinology about it, where you have to try and read through tea leaves and um, you know and and uh, and look through you know funhouse mirrors. So. Um, I, I think that there, these sort of conversations about the future of the DA have been happening for some time, and MLS has been contemplating um, how it's going to address its frustrations with the DA and the, the tiering and the red-blue tiers that they in, uh, initiated on short notice last year that really antagonized a lot of people probably is reflective of the Federation trying to figure out how to run it better. But in terms of actually shutting the whole thing down, um, I, again, I know that there are, um, there's, I don't, I don't know what the better term is than, than conspiracy theories. I don't mean that term in a dismissive way, but just as I, I know there's a, a, a significant number of people, uh, in the community who perceive that this is all happening sort of as a grand plan. I, I can't find any evidence of that. What I'm finding evidence of is that new leadership came in in the form of Will Wilson, the new CEO and Cindy Parlo Cohn, the new president. And, and in the in this sort of sudden financial bearishness that's set in on everyone, right? I mean, it's every major entity in America right now is second guessing every dollar they're spending, simply because the dollars that they were planning to spend are not coming in the door right now. Um, and I think they felt that they had to come in and make some some significant, tough, uh, you know, sort of searing decisions about about programming and budgeting because they feel like the bottom dropped out of the finances of the Federation. Now, and I think you can certainly make the case that the DA is not the place to start on that, but um, 
talking to people who to coaches and to NTDs, this all came up like like even federation people like sort of development academy um silo people who are maybe not necessarily at executive level discussions but are involved in the running of the federation and communications with with member clubs they were all get, started getting calls i think it was about two weeks from two weeks ago today so i think it started two fridays ago where suddenly it was like you know what's the DA could, could get shut down. Like everybody figured that the current season would probably not get finished, but then there was talk like, well, the whole thing's going to shut down. What's going on here. Um, but there were hours and hours of conference calls among coaches and TDs. And we're talking all DA members, MLS, non MLS going, okay, what's happening here? What can we do? How can we save this thing? And I'm told by multiple sources that the member clubs said to the Federation, Hey, we'll let us help you. Let's get this. Let's keep save this thing. Um, we'll cover different costs. Like there's, there were event costs, there are refereeing costs that the member clubs offered to pick up to make it easier for the D, for the fed to keep going with the DA. And they were, they were turned down. And so that leads me to believe that this wasn't a sort of, uh, I think, I think this was a top down decision that the, the new leadership felt they had to make, um, that they weren't happy about um, what they saw in terms of the financial trajectory or, or the organization and once they did it, you know, there was a whole lot of debate. Now, that's, <laughs> that is, for better or worse, the, the, the culture of the Federation, too, I think, is that there's that, a little bit of that top-down mentality. But they're, they are panicking. And I think it's, um, you could argue that, there's a, that there was artifice in, in, in laying off 20% of their staff and the CEO taking a 50% pay cut on the same day as they, as they shutter the Federation, the, uh, the DA. But I, I, I think it would... I can't see enough evidence that there was a grand plan there. I think that they were uh, panicking uh, about the money, um, plain and simple. And the DA, with the problems that it had, with the challenges, with the rising spending, just became an easy target that no longer had enough determined defenders on staff anymore. I mean, the, the people that built the DA as we know it 13 years ago and in the years since, many of them are no longer there. And so there's that sort of internal political aspect as well. Yeah, I mean, when I say that, you know, like the like the Taylor Twelman uh, tweet when he was talking about he's been hearing about this for six months. I don't mean a grand conspiracy or grand plan. What uh, I think COVID nineteen became the convenient timing, but I think we were always heading here, right? That the federation was looking at uh, the program and the expenses of the program, and if you're not willing, as I said, to to go at this from an administrative point of view rather than we're going to front all of the cost, right? So, uh, you know, if you think of it as the Federation operating as a Federation versus the Federation trying to operate as, you know, another U.S. club or U.S. youth soccer type of organization, they sh- instead of just sanctioning and administering you know, basically like, you know, you set up a March Madness tournament bracket, right? And you go, hey, here's the NCAA tournament. Here's the, you know, 64, 68. uh, You know, I can't, I lose count every year. They're adding some play in, you know, know, game, what, right? But instead of, instead of rolling out a a nationwide bracket, every year going okay hey here's the here here's the the tier one bracket here's the tier two bracket here's the tier three bracket okay you guys go play right that doesn't cost the federation much in the way of operations uh travel costs etc where where i think they 
you know, got it wrong is what you talked about when they entered in as a competitor. Like we're not just going to administer the, the bracket and, and put it out there for everyone. We're going to come in and, and get, you know, heavily financially invested in the programming, the day-to-day, the operations of that bracket. You know, we're not just going to sanction your clubs and say, okay, you're in this tier, go play. Um, here's the expenses you guys have to incur whenever you go play. So make sure you, you bring your, you know, 150 bucks to pay for the referees kind of thing. Um, it, you know, it, it went beyond that. And so when they got into it from a programming standpoint, you know, I think that we were always heading here because the fundamental changes that would have need to have happened for, for the Federation to operate is more of as the administration level rather than a programming level. I don't think they could see the force from the trees. It was kind of like, we're just going to, if we can't afford it, we're just going to cut it. We're not going to try to fix it or save it. As you, as you pointed out, uh, there, there was very little communication with the development Academy clubs, directors, and even parents um, who, who were all just left in the dark, um, which, which to me is another uh, very disappointing, um, you know, aspect of this whole situation that the Federation continues to operate so poorly as an organization when it comes to leadership and communication. Uh, you have all of these stakeholders who have, you know, put programming they've invested themselves into to doing things a certain way for 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 so long and to not have any uh active participation in um you know this decision making process even if the federation ultimately decided look we're just we just are going to get out of this space where we don't want to do administration we don't want to we don't want to pay anymore uh for the programming and the travel we just want to be done that's fine but to, to not even bring them into that process to me is very disappointing yeah, and I think you, you unfortunately, well, for better and for worse, right? And, and we see this possibly beyond the soccer sphere in these times. Uh, crises really highlight the strengths and weaknesses of organizations and their leadership because um, it's the nature of, of this federation and quite possibly federations around the world, thanks to FIFA's sort of structuring of the administrative side of the game, that they are accustomed to dictating. They are not necessarily accustomed to communicating uh, marshalling consensus, building, uh, you know, kind of a, 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 a collective uh, approach to things. It's, it, the, and this goes back to the early years of the DA. I mean, the, one of the things that drove coaches nuts, as much as they liked what, you know, the positive aspects uh, developmentally that the DA was bringing to the landscape, early on, they, you were told not just how, you know, tactically and stylistically and philosophically how they wanted you to play, they were told you what formation to play in. So this was back when Claudia Arena's um, technical curriculum dropped. Every DA club was told, we expect you to play 4-3-3 with, you know, your winners doing this and this. And, and this was kind of in the phase where, um, you know, the Barcelona system was probably the, the, the driving philosophical inspiration for, for the Federation's, uh, you know, tactical outlook. And, and coaches, I remember talking to coaches who had won national championships at the collegiate level, and then we're going and, and we're coaching their local PA club and being told like we, we're playing three in the back, like you know that's going to affect your your evaluation. But 
which is just uh, looking back, it was absurd, but that was, they were learning as they went because they were trying to figure out how to make this thing work the way they wanted it to. And the, the knee jerk reaction was, we're going to set out these, these, this list of to do's that you are to, to, to meet. And if not, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll suffer on some level, whether it's your place in the VA will be up for question or your end of year evaluations. And, you know, they had a pretty clear set of an annual report that every club was, was getting graded on certain metrics and certain departments, everything from your facilities to your coach's sideline demeanor. And, and over time it got almost like it got regulated to death. Um, and I've talked to so many people who said, and again, you're talking about college coaches who recruit top DA prospects, right? Blue chip, best players in the nation and they get to college and they've never played in a cauldron type of environment because the DA was sort of sterile, right? Uh, uh, even coaches, coaches were afraid to yell at, at, at uh, terrible refereeing decisions because, well, that's going to affect your grade, right? And then that, that could affect you personally as a coach, that could affect your club, that could affect your players. So uh, unfortunately we see that the, uh, some of the flaws, the wider flaws in, in the Federation's way of doing things um, came to light here. So, um, and I have to point out too, um, that what I think was a really strategic error uh, was launching the girls DA. Um, that was three years ago now, I believe. Um, and there was this sense that uh, coming off the 2015 Women's World Cup title, uh, the litigation and the sort of the conflict that I guess led us to the current litigation with the women's national team over pay equity was was hanging over the federation, and they felt like, okay, we've got this platform for the men, we have to build it for the women to stay on top and to shield ourselves from, from these accusations of sexism that are gathering. Um, and so on paper, you can say that was a good idea, um, but it ended up doubling the size of everything, doubling the cost of everything. And with the ECNL having sort of stood up independently, something roughly comparable to the DA in terms of its place in the landscape, that meant that instead of clarifying the situation, they just murked it up further by having now two national competitive leagues that were siphoning talent from one another that were that were competing tenaciously for for players for clubs and 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 so now the the top women girls talent across the country has been watered down by being spread across two competitions so we talk about a classic example of sort of wading into a, to a, a situation and instead of fixing it you, you just you just worse you just become another layer uh, of of complication and chaos that gets um, that gets piled on so um, and I think I have to say I think that the girls DA played a real big factor in the decision to pull the plug because the DA the girls DA didn't seem to be working but they felt I don't think they felt that they had the choice of just shutting down one it was that the, the everything was going to go out the door at once so they couldn't be accused of of discriminating against the the the, the women's game so. And, and, you know, you mentioned the idea of a cup competition. I think that's great. I think the, the unfortunately, one idea that's gotten lost in all this was the, the new, the DA Cup, was this uh, effort to create that, to create a cup competition to be balanced alongside the league. And I think that would be one great idea that should be salvaged from from all this. But at this point, who, who knows who will take that on? Yeah, and, and, and speaking of taking things on, I mean, I think this is where the Federation um, really messed up. Uh, the, this, this, this whole, uh, aspect of, it, uh, getting involved in programming versus administration. You can, you can, you know, like I said, you can put out brackets and you can say, Hey, here's where you play 
based on your on-field performance, you know, you finish top of your, your league or your group or, or, or what have you. And, and you can factor in, you know, that, uh, you, you get audited in terms of, you know, what's your club methodology, what's your club programming, et cetera. But this idea that, that every team in the DA had to play the same way. I mean, um, you know, whoever thought that idea was a good idea, that is completely absurd and naive. And, we, we know this watching, uh, you know, football matches every weekend. You know, Barcelona plays Atletico Madrid. Liverpool play against Man City. All, all four of those clubs play a little bit different to the other. Some have more similarities than, than others do, but the, it's not the same tactics. It's not the same exact formation. That's part of what makes the game so beautiful is it's like, you know, a puzzle uh, that has to get solved every weekend and, and, and you and you go about trying to solve it differently. Um, and and you look at a manager, uh, I'm not a big fan of, 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 of Jose Mourinho, but, um, you know, others are. And, and he is, you know, a chameleon with his tactics. I mean, he'll, he'll, change his teams and his setups based on what he thinks will give him success on the day. And, and, and I think his tactic is winning. Like that's what he cares about the most. And so he, he doesn't stay committed to a philosophy where you get on the other side and you see a Pep Guardiola that is absolutely committed to his methodology and philosophy and, and, and believes in it so much that he, if he loses, he says we didn't execute well enough. Not that, that you know our methodology was flawed or, or what have you and and all of those beautiful layers and tactical complications it's kind of like the DA was treated as if everybody could only do adding and subtracting and multiplying and division. We're not going to get into geometry. We're not going to get into, you know, algebra one, algebra two, trigonometry. You know, you're only going to take those, those, you know, math lessons that include basic uh, mathematics and every, and, and by telling everyone you had to play four, three, three, and you had to do this just like everybody else. And you had to like, of course you're going to, get accused of creating robots and having you know no passion and no soul and 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 that the players were ill prepared to play at the highest levels around the world when they came out because they had been basically you know in a watered down tactical environment uh for for so long um and and when everything's uniformed you you really remove that cognitive learning experience from the players. And then, as you mentioned, you bring in the women's uh, DA and, and now you have a men's and women's uh, development Academy program, boys and girls development Academy program. And when your philosophy is not administration, let's set up the March madness, you know, brackets and make sure everything's organized uh, on, on just a pure, you know, just like, I would say the same way that they go about the U.S. Open Cup, right? So if they had taken that approach, now I'm not talking about their lack of support for TV deals and promotion and all that, but I'm talking about the 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 U.S. Open Cup, U.S. Soccer. That that's their their one event um, that they are solely like responsible for organizing, and they make sure these teams get put in the brackets, and they go and they play, you know, on this day at this stadium, etc. Had had they overseen 
a a na- nationwide system of just um, organization of schedules and overseeing from a from like a an auditory uh, not auditory but a, a kind of an oversight aspect and auditing of the the organizations in terms of making sure they have their club philosophy and, and development package you know all in place then I don't think we would have been incurring these massive expenses and I think the game would have been better off letting all of these you know different flavors bubble up from different clubs all over the country um, in the aftermath of that, all this you know um, last question here where do you think we go where where do you think we end up in the aftermath here in these next few years well the i'll, I'll start with a uh, a sunny scenario a more optimistic uh, approach which is it's possible that this that the da's closure that that this in crisis we find ourselves in socially um, shocks the uh, existing players in this landscape into um, getting out of their usual routines and rut and perspectives and leads to some conversations happening that have not been happening enough. Um, we're hearing, you know, I'm hearing uh, ECNL talking to MLS, right? ECNL talking to the DA, whereas there was kind of a cold war there. Um, USU soccer is making noises about, you know, trying to, trying to offer a platform uh, comparable to DA. Now, bear in mind that that organization has its own issues and, and it, it's sort of, uh, problems were one of the reasons that, that the DA was created in the first place, right? So there's there's plenty of blame to go around, but my hope is that people will recognize um, the, the, the scope uh, of the issues and the severity of the current situation, the, the potentially um, transformative uh, crossroads we find ourselves at, and so just to sort of break down that the, the enmity and the competition mentality that they have, at least in the sense of organizations. There's no reason that that ECNL teams and and US youth national uh, USU soccer national league teams can't play one another. There's no reason that we can't create a way to, to to have some kind of overarching system. You know, maybe even ODP gets brought back up and gets reformed and improved, and and the motives uh, of those involved um, are get redirected towards the bigger picture of, of player development uh, of of pure competition. You know, that's the that's the bright side. I, I, I hope that that will happen. That 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 people can understand that it's time for something new and that that starts with conversations with people that maybe you hate and that you've been competing against for decades. Um, uh, the, the more pessimistic framing I think is that we're, you know, the crab barrel mentality uh, has won in this case, the Federation has had to retreat, whether we think it it's uh, for financial reasons or other. Um, and we'll kind of have to get out of the space and we'll be back to this uh, cutthroat competition for teams and players you know, club jumping, you know, that all that sort of the sort of pissing contest for lack of a better term, pardon my language, you know, will will rear their heads again and become the dominant experience. But I, I think that the the macro circumstances with potentially no travel soccer for a long time, we may be doing social distancing on soccer fields and stadiums for the next year or more. So we're in we're in sort of unprecedented times. And my hope is that 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 can that crisis can turn into an opportunity. But uh, it, it's very conceivable that everybody goes right back to you know tending their little patch of grass and fighting fighting for it tenaciously and trying to protect the revenue streams they can get their hands on. And you know, devil takes the hindmost. Yeah, I mean, look in 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 the the vacuum and the void that is uh, the leadership vacuum. 
uh, within the Federation. They, it just uh, seems like it's it, the organization has been so poorly run for so long. Uh, we've been left with this, um, you know, this this void, this space, and it's just been chaos. Uh, programs running, uh, you know, basically independently of each other, not in cooperation with each other. Um, you know, and you've had programs like the ODP and others that, um, you know, in theory sounds like a great idea. And then you get in there and you realize like, you know, this is just a money grab in politics and politics and, and there's no real value here. I mean, ultimately we, we, we keep trying to reinvent the wheel at every level. MLS, uh, the USL, um, you know, all the way down into the adult amateur space and into the youth space. And, 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 and the reason why we, we, we're doing this is, uh, is because we, we refuse to learn the lessons from those who have done it better than us around the country, uh, around the world. And, and until the, the Federation becomes, the organizers of a national system um, on the adult level as well as on the youth level that, uh, you know, at its, at its most grassroots levels uh, is focused on local competition, um, you know, based on sporting merit that feeds into more regional and then eventually at your, your highest levels of professional soccer, then, you know, then you can, you can look at your, your national setups. Uh, you know, I look at a country like Brazil um, in in a country similar in size and landmass, and they're you know we obviously know they produce players uh, on a much greater scale than we do and of of much greater quality. Their aim is not to get kids to college. Uh, their aim is to is to get kids to to the professional game and having solidarity payments, training compensation, uh, having their first teams at their clubs with the opportunity to win and 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 move up and get access to to more revenue. Um, none of those uh, principles exist in our system, and therefore we keep trying to reinvent the wheel, hoping that we get it right this time. And I, I just think we're destined for more and more chaos until we we actually sit down and, and address the the real issues at the heart of the of this whole mess. And uh, and that is that we're one country. You know, U.S. soccer likes to say we're one nation, one team. Um, but, you know, if we are one nation, then treat us that way. Make us one country and, and say, hey, look, the best ideas, the best clubs, the best operations, they're going to win. They're going to win on the field. And, and that's going to be labs of innovation all over this country. And and wherever you fall in that pecking order, you fall in that pecking order. And, and maybe maybe you do really, really well. And maybe you thought you'd do really well. And, 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 and you've got things to work on uh, to actually get there. But uh, until we have that kind of... Uh, connectivity across the country um and that's going to take leadership from the federation um you know i i think we're i think we're destined for more frustration i i'm hopeful uh there's i'm, I'm very optimistic in, in general so i'm hopeful charles that uh some of your your hopes come true uh reality says <laughs> reality says we we're, we're going to be stuck in this for quite a while so you know who knows we'll see but uh look i appreciate you coming on the show thanks uh thanks for joining us look forward to having you back on again soon to talk uh some other things uh in the future but uh, appreciate your appreciate time it, and Daniel. your work thanks for having me and uh let's let's see how this unfolds and uh 
Have a great show. Absolutely. Appreciate it. That is Charles Boehm uh, joining the show. Really appreciate him spending some time with us uh, here on the show and uh, giving us his thoughts on the Federation and the Development Academy. I hope you have a great weekend. I hope that you uh, in, 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 you know, stay safe out there and um, in, in that we all get through this sooner rather than later. We're facing uh, a bunch of uh, uncertainty in terms of when we can get back on the field and when programming can restart and all that and the most important thing is that we stay safe and hopefully we can get through this sooner rather than later have a great weekend we'll see everybody again on monday